Welcome to episode 70 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we have our ninth ever Best Picture Showdown. Pretty cool stuff. We've done, done a handful of these now and feel like it's our, our best stuff here on Oscar Sunday because we get to hone in on a, a ceremony and talk about the five movies or more, depending on what year it is, uh, that we're up for Best Picture. And of course, we're going to rank them later on in the show. We're also going to give awards out to a film. And this year is 1971. 50 years ago, Connor, 50 fucking years ago, these movies came out. And uh, I'd say it's a really, really cool, strong year. Obviously, the late 60s, early 70s is when American cinema is changing for the better. Uh, and you have, you know, a movie like French Connection, which is just an out and out thriller starring these, you know, fucking Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider, these, these monstrous performers. And it's, it's, it becomes a genre that people want to copy forever. Uh, and I, I love this film. It's, it's one that I've watched many times and I'm super excited to talk about it. It beat uh, The Last Picture Show, uh, A Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, and Nicholas and Alexandra. So we're going to rank those movies later, but I do want to get your general thoughts on uh, French Connection because I think this was just your second time watching it. Yeah, this is my second time. The first time was when we did this as a bonus on the Filmgasm podcast for The Exorcist. Uh, William Friedkin, double feature. And uh, this is quite a ride. Oh, yeah. uh, this film is uh, kind of a, you know, a, a game changer. There hadn't yes. really been a, a, a cop movie like this before that showed, you know, kind of a gritty, shitty cop, like a racist asshole cop as the hero. Yeah. <laughs> It's it works uh, because Hackman is so goddamn committed. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be, you know, the prick with a heart of gold, you got to sell that shit. And <laughs> Hackman sold it. This is a this is a great movie. Really exciting. Uh, totally deserving of best picture, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, it had some competition, which we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, for sure. But definitely um, a movie everyone should see at least once. And yeah. uh, actually, at least twice, I think twice gives you more of a, you know, you get more out of it for sure. But definitely one I was excited to do on this and uh, a great way to celebrate, you know, a 50 year milestone of a year in film. Yeah. Yeah. 50th anniversary for French Connection and all these other films, every film that's at the ceremony, pretty much. And that's always exciting to be able to do that. You know, last week we got to do Rango, which hit its 10, 10, 10 year anniversary this year. And uh, we want to kind of do before before it's too late before it's 2022 we want to do more films that are kind of hitting that milestone of some sort and french connection is like without a doubt if you're to just take the best picture winners it's it's just like it's one of my favorites uh it's right up there with one flew over and moonlight and you know kramer versus kramer movies i just flat out adore and uh, amadeus uh 12 years a slave you know ones that i think are truly true masterpieces and French Connection, while it does have very strong competition, I think it's when you think about 1971, this is the film you think about because of what it changed, what it changed for New York movies. Uh, we recently talked about Taxi Driver, and I think, you know, French Connection is like Taxi Driver in the way that it shows New York City. It shows Brooklyn, you know, uh, it shows Marseille. It's really, really cool. The, the settings that this film takes you to, whether it be uh, in the car with Popeye and Cloudy, or if you're uh, what, or if they're on foot, or you could be in Marseille looking at this, you know, beautiful scenery. 
it's really cool the places it takes you inside of an hour and 45 minutes i think that french connection could the worst thing it could have done for itself is be two hours plus that that fast paced last 30 to 45 minutes is just absolute gold <laughs> and I, I think that's the best thing it has going for it moving forward uh as it moves moves past 50 years old and keeps going i think it's still worth your time because it, it never really is dull i think the setup in the first you know 30 minutes or so is worth it because you really get to know all right this is a big fucking deal you know and this cop popeye is a total dirtbag and you you learn that at one point he had a he had an incident where he had a hunch about something and another cop got killed. And so you really get to know him, uh, his character through these like simple bits of dialogue between him and other policemen. And that stuff is genius. As you watch it more and more, you're like, Oh my God, Popeye, you're terrible, but you, you can't help but cheer for him as he's trying to take down these monstrous French drug dealers. So a lot of fun. I'm super excited to talk about it today. Uh, I want to jump right into the individuals who are involved with the film. Uh, of course, by default, we'll talk about the French connection more with those. Uh, and then we're going to go through the 44th Academy Awards, just kind of look at some stuff, talk about other films that are outside of the best picture group. Uh, like my, my personal favorite is Clute starring Jane Fonda and her, her Oscar win uh, first nomination and first win. She's just fantastic. Actually it might be her second nomination. I'm not sure, but I know it's her first win and uh, she's, she's electric in that movie and, uh, definitely want to talk about some other stuff. So, and then we'll do our ranking of the five best picture nominees, and then we'll do our awards. So, let's jump right into Mr. William Friedkin, absolute dynamite director, who's got who's got a decent little resume here. You know, um, when you look at these movies, you you point out The Exorcist earlier. How with Filmgasm, you know, this is way back now. We were doing bonuses that were attached to the Filmgasm main episode. So, The Exorcist. 1973, an absolute must-see for everybody. Uh, we wanted to kind of, kind of take that, take that, and run with it, and also do French Connection because that is the ultimate double feature, right? It's like New York on steroids. <laughs> these these movies just really, uh, really hit you hard, and they're they're so different in what they're trying to get across and the style that they have. So uh, he won Best Director for French Connection, was nominated for The Exorcist. A lot of a lot of other really cool movies, though. I mean, it's kind of amazing that this is it for him. Does, does, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because he does have some some monstrous films under his belt. And uh, I, I wanted to, you know, open the floor and let you talk about any other ones you've seen or if there's any other ones that you think should be here. Um, regrettably, outside of um, French Connection, The Exorcist, I really have not explored William Friedkin. But um, I know my uncle, um, if you listen to the Filmgasm podcast, you'll re- you might remember um, Sean Bridges, who uh, was a guest on our awesome Escape from New York episode. Yes. Um, to Live and Die in L.A. is one of his favorite movies of all time. Mm. Um, and I've always wanted to see Bug. Uh, yeah. I've heard that is an unsettling movie. <laughs> and uh, For sure. Yeah. I actually recently a couple days ago, just finished reading The Exorcist for the first time. How about and that? I was really surprised at how identical it was to the movie. Like, William Peter Blatty just adapted his novel, and Friedkin didn't cut anything. Like, he didn't, you know, try to shape it. He knew how important that story was, the way it was told. And I love that. I love that he didn't try to, you know, screw with it. I mean, that's, you know, that just made me appreciate the film even more. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's, that's massive as you, as you get older and you consume all this stuff and you learn that about something, you learn that you do the work for yourself and you learn that it just makes the film that much stronger. Yeah. And that, and that much scarier, quite frankly. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, God, what, you know, the exorcist I could go on and on about, I think it, you know, it has a place rightfully has a place in kind of this pantheon of horror films. And I find it to be just uber entertaining. And it has probably my favorite horror scene of all time is when the mother and the doctor are talking and they basically break down what the genre of means to me. And they start talking about, if you believe it, it is true, you know, and, and it's very, a very serious scene. And I, I, I love that because that's kind of where my head's at with a lot of the stuff we watch and the stuff we do on film guys and horror movies in general, just people that want to kind of shit on them. It's like, no, 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 no. Like there's a lot of exorcists out there that are just ready to just floor you and ready to kind of take your mind to just totally new heights. And I think putting those walls down and and kind of letting that suck you in is, is the coolest thing about horror. Uh, You would love sorcerer. Oh my God sorcerer of william friedkin that is a that is a fantastic movie uh, also also starting rory scheider uh he's amazing in that movie he, he, that's that's one that i think you'd like and then also i love cruising from 1980 that's a cool movie with that, of course al pacino the man himself uh coming off an incredible 70s run maybe the best of the decade and i i think those two are the ones that kind of stand out and i wish uh william friedkin got more more praise for those uh but that's that's where we come in and on oscar sundays we kind of we kind of spotlight that stuff because sure you know the exorcist and uh french connection are great maybe his two best movies maybe but there's always more stuff uh one of my favorite basketball movies of all time uh is blue chips stars fucking shaquille o'neal and nick nolte and penny hardaway uh bob Cousy, some basketball legends and then nick nolte at the forefront and that's a that's a really cool movie uh very gritty shows a different side of college basketball. And I, I think it's a, a cool one to watch where you're like, Oh, this is William Friedkin. What the fuck? You know, uh, he, he has that about him. He has that way about him where he's doing all these different kinds of stories. And you, you just kind of realize that you, you're watching an amazing filmmaker. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that you can spot, like you can tell me about these super unknown underground, like, you know, action thriller cop movies he did in the seventies that I can then throw into the book and we end up doing that shit on filmgasm. So it's it all yeah. kind of, you know, it's like a, a snake eating itself, this whole thing. It's just constantly <laughs> going. It's great. Oh uh, yeah. I love it. I love the snake. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up is uh, the, the writer of uh, the French connection, Ernest Tidyman. This is the only, only stuff he has when it comes to the Oscars. Uh, I mean, good heavens. Some of the stuff that's said in this movie is like so abrupt and so appalling, but it's just made the movie last to me. Uh, it's another one of those things along with the cinematographer. We're going to talk about him soon. Uh, William Friedkin and Ernest Tidyman, that combination of them two just attacking this story is, is so important to why it's lasted just like the exorcist. So uh, Ernest won for uh, the French connection, best uh, adapted screenplay, but there's nothing else there uh, for the Oscars. You look at his, you know, you look at his 
other films and you, you see some, you see some cool stuff. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not amazing. There's probably stuff I need to see that I haven't seen, but uh, movies I've definitely heard of and definitely has an attachment to Shaft because he wrote that film, then wrote the, uh, there was that TV series in the early seventies as well. He also helped write, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's his baby. That's his novel. So it's like, uh, I, I think, I, th- I think Shaft is a really cool thing. That's kind of lasted. And there was another movie with Samuel Jackson back like two years ago. So still around. <laughs> Guy wrote Shaft. I, first off, I didn't know Shaft was based on a novel. Hell yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. Um, I also see that he wrote High Plains Drifter. Mm, there you go. I've seen that film. I'm not a fan, admittedly, but I think it's time. It's been a, a good long while since I watched that movie. And it's, it's very much a, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood as the anti-hero kind of. Yes. You know, yes. cowboy. I mean, f- first thing he does, he walks into town, he fucking rapes a woman. That's the first. Yeah. And this is the guy you're supposed to root for. And I just thought, like, what the fuck? Why do why? Why am I rooting for this guy? And that was my like sophomore year of college. So I think it's time to to revisit High Plains Drifter. I mean, everyone, you know, it's critically acclaimed. So maybe I'm the problem. But I always think that, yeah, I always like, wait, I didn't love this. What's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I, when there's, you know, it's certified fresh, it's got Oscar nominations out the ass. I'm always the guy. If I don't like it, I'm always like, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a me problem. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the odd man out here. So what's wrong? What do I have to watch to make this better? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And sometimes it just takes knowing about the people behind it. Like clearly Ernest Tidyman has a has a fascination with pieces of shit characters <laughs> yeah. and and maybe knowing that and you watch it again you're like okay i get it i get it he, he doesn't want to deal with any real heroes he wants them to be totally jaded yeah <laughs> uh yeah i watch you know i've seen the french connection now i watch shaft i watch maybe pale rider or hang him high then i go back to high plains Turkey. There you go. And then you have a whole new kind of arsenal to, to watch the movie with. So, yeah, I love that. Uh, William Friedkin and Ernest Tidyman. Awesome, awesome combo. Uh, they're a big part of why we're, we're talking about this French connection today. Uh, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is no, um, no slump when it comes to the Oscars as a performer. Uh, five total nominations, two wins. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, 1967. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. 1970, I Never Sang for My Father. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Then he wins for French Connection, Best Lead Actor. Uh, he was nominated again for Best Lead Actor in 1988 for Mississippi Burning. And then he won again for Best Supporting Actor in Unforgiven, 1992, a movie we did not too long ago on a uh, Best Picture Showdown. I want to say it was two showdowns ago. We did Best Years of Our Lives last time. And then, yeah, is that right? Yeah, that sounds yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Crazy. I've <laughs> done so many of so many of these. I, I kind of sometimes I forget. And we started with 1979, Kramer versus Kramer. That was our first ever proper showdown. Then after that, we did Moonlight, uh, The Apartment, um, American Beauty was somewhere in there. Uh, Chariots of Fire is somewhere in there. Uh, then I know for episode 50, we talked about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And of course, Return of the King is a Best Picture winner. Then after that, I guess after that would have been Unforgiven. And then Best Years of Our Lives, and here we are. Yeah, I might be missing one, but <laughs> I know we've done nine of them, and they're a lot of fun. Uh, 
Gene Hackman, Jesus Christ. I love this guy. Love, 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 love this guy. My probably personal favorite performance of his is uh, him as Royal Tenenbaum in the Royal Tenenbaums. Wes Anderson's 2001 masterpiece. Maybe, just maybe his best movie alongside Grand Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, He's lights out in that movie. So much fun. And it's hard to believe that that role and his role here as Popeye are 30 years apart. It's just kind of crazy. But this is, this is, this is the most exciting and most entertaining Hackman I think I've ever seen is him as Popeye. I mean, right from the get go, he's dressed up as Santa Claus and he starts chasing this, you know, drug peddler. And, <laughs> and then when him and him and cloudy, him and Roy Scheider are kind of have him up against the wall, this guy, the stuff he's saying, I mean, it gets you going right away. You're like, holy shit. I got to keep watching this, this, this kind of fucked up cop. Yeah. Well, that Gene Hackman's great at playing pricks. Like, yes. He's, he's, there's very few actors who are as good at it as he is. It's um, amazing. To date, I think, you know, he's, I think he's one of the best uh, Lex Luthers that we've ever had in his role. 100%. You know, in the first two Supermans and then four for some reason. I guess the money must have been good. But, yeah, I, you know, you believe this guy could is the smart believes that he's the smartest man on earth and could, you know, I never liked his plan, you know, like take out what was it New California and then sell all the new beachfront property. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> he pulls it off. <laughs> he's he's a he's a goddamn nightmare. I mean, him as little Bill and Unforgiven is like it's like a performance out of a museum or something. It's just, just astonishing what he's able to do in that with the time he's given. Uh, I mean, we're not going to have him for much longer to be, to be quite frank. He's 90 years old uh, or 91. Yeah, he was born in 1930. Uh, that's the, the guys, you know, he retired like 15 years ago and hung it up after welcome to Mooseport. Uh, weird one to go out on. <laughs> And he, he's just a kind of an American treasure. I think. Uh, think people, people should go back and watch his stuff whenever they can. And I'm sure most people are listening know know his know his filmography very well. Yeah, I, I don't know it well enough, frankly. Like I, I still have to watch the Royal Tenenbaums. Well, he's got a hundred acting credits, so it's just like, oh fuck, yeah, I got yeah. always going to have work to do. Yeah, for sure. Like I've, I I want to see the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, Mississippi burning. Uh, there's a yeah. There's still a lot of work I've got to do with uh, with him, but you know, it's fun. You ever see the Birdcage? Oh, I love the Birdcage. <laughs> love, 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 love the Birdcage. One of my yeah, one of my favorite Hackman performances. As just you know, seeing him in drag was a was a nice moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You forget sometimes that he's like a an actor. You know, he's like a proper. Because he's so good. He's so committed to his kind of dirtbag characters that you just you just forget that you're like, oh, I thought this guy was just just a prick. And he's like, no, he's he's like a trained, legit actor. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you didn't get enough of Hackman as a you know tyrannical Wild West, you know, crime baron, watch the quick and the dead, because he's pretty much the same character. There you go. I love that. Good shout. Yeah. Um his co-star, one of my 
one of my favorite guys from the seventies and he just got kind of lost. And we'll, you know, I think we can pinpoint some stuff that happened, but it, it's always frustrating when someone shows so much talent in, in, in inside of a decade and then it doesn't pan out the way you want it to. And that's uh, Mr. Roy Scheider, who stars as Cloudy and French Connection. He was nominated for Supporting Actor for this movie. And he was also nominated for Best Actor of 1979, All That Jazz, which All That Jazz was a part of our Kramer vs. Kramer show. I love All That Jazz. I love Roy Scheider's performance in that movie. I think he's... It's crazy to me that that's the same guy from Jaws. Like, wait a minute. Whoa, what the fuck is happening here? This this just, you know, complete like drug junkie who's chain smoking like a fiend. Uh, Joe Gideon, he's all over the place and is totally paranoid and talking about, I think I'm going to die, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's what he's doing, all that jazz. And then he's the guy who says, you're going to need a bigger boat. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's really crazy to me when a guy can do that. You know, Gene Hackman has a sim- that similar, I can do the big, big, big stuff. I can perform for everybody in, in the entire world, but I can also do really weird, wacky stuff because that's, that's what they do. That's what they get paid to do. Roy Schreider, how is he not up for jobs? I think he's so good in that movie. Him and Richard Dreyfus are both awesome in that movie. Uh, I also just am, you know, clearly biased to it. It's one of my favorite movies from the seventies as I think it's for everybody. Well, maybe the most important American movie of all time, uh, changed summer movies forever, changed the calendar of movies forever and changed the way people look at beaches, changed the way people look at vacation and is a tentpole July 4th movie because of what's inside of it, you know, because it is that damn good. So I love that Roy Schreider is a part of it. Every time I watch Jaws, I always find myself thinking, this film has no business being as fucking lights out good as it is. Like, Every second. This is a movie about a big ass shark terrorizing a beach. That's essentially, yeah. you know, bare bones. That's what this is. But yeah. beneath that, it's a fantastic character study into obsession. It's a terrifying, you know, creature feature. It's the movie that puts Spielberg on the map. I... I've, I fucking adore it. And yeah, I think Roy Scheider's fantastic in it. But to me, the performance of that movie is Robert Shaw. Quint. Yeah. Quint. I mean, yeah. Fucking hell, man. Every time I watch it, I am mesmerized by that drunk, crazy fisherman son of a bitch. Yeah. And his death is probably the most gruesome PG death, I would say, that I've seen. I could say uh, that, yeah. Like by like by a landslide, I think second place would be some of the death that happens in Rango. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I just I just am blown away by the, th- those three guys: Roy, Robert, Richard. Just they're just fucking bonkers in that movie. Too good, like you said. That movie has no business being just just an absolute yeah. like ten out of ten, hundred out of hundred, five star movie, like across the board. One of my all time favorites. It's. Quint's death is my earliest, I think one of my earliest movie memories. I remember I was like four or five years old. I my mom was watching it, and I like woke up in the middle of the night to see Quint get (laughs) eaten by the shark. And I remember I wasn't scared. I was more like, "Huh, that's interesting." And my mom woke up and turned it off and was like, "Why are you watching that? You shouldn't be watching that." I'm like, "It's PG though." 
<laughs> That's I got swear. the same rating as my Disney movies. So why can't I watch this? <laughs> but um, yeah, Lion King, Jaws, come on. It's actually the I think the reason Roy Scheider never really took off the way he should have is because of Jaws too. He um he was yeah. forced to make that movie by Universal after he backed out of another project, and I think he got billed as unreliable or difficult or something, and that fucked his career. I think that's yeah. What appar- apparently, he was not fun on set. Apparently, in most of his movies, yeah. Well, that's that's the seventies for you. Most most of them weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a crazy era, um, full of amazing movies and amazing talent. And Roy Scheider, you can kind of put in a capsule like he belongs in the seventies. Uh, and you, even if you don't know the name, when you see the face, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> everybody knows him. Yeah, everybody knows him. Everybody knows him from Joss. That's just that's just how it is. Uh, I think I think maybe I've, I've kind of held my tongue on this. I think you know William Friedkin and Ernest Tiedemann are a big part of why French Connection is what it is. But I think the biggest reason French Connection is what it is and has stood the test of time is Owen Roisman, the cinematographer. Good fucking lord, he's a big reason why it only cost two million dollars to make. He's a big reason why it's it just destroyed the box office, won five Oscars, was nominated for eight because of his imprint on this movie. And you look at his just his Oscar resume and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, just crazy. French Connection nominated for best cinematography. The Exorcist nominated for best cinematography. Network nominated for best cinematography. Tootsie nominated for best cinematography. And Wyatt Earp nominated for best cinematography. He won an honorary award in 2018 because they never gave him a win when he was actually working. So they said, oh, fuck, we messed up. We realize how important you are, especially with your 70s run, uh, are bad. So here, here you go. Here's a little, here's a little thing you can, you can hold. Uh, he's still with us, this guy. And I'm kind of ashamed I didn't know more about him until we kind of, I was doing research for this episode. French Connection that there's certain scenes where it, it quite frankly is a handheld camera and what movie is doing that? That's trying to be this big Oscar contender, big box office, you know, dynamite movie. It's so raw. So, so raw. And then when it needs to scope out and be big, it's big and it's beautiful. And it's just some jaw dropping stuff when you're looking at New York. And then there's that, those famous, kind of you know the the famous little zoom ins where you're you're looking at a big old street and then you're all of a sudden you know 30 seconds later without you really noticing you're on Fernando Ray's face or you're on Gene Hackman's face and it's just just perfect and then that there's obviously famous scenes later in the movie where it's like who the fuck can film this you know <laughs> this this stuff that's really going on the you know the stunts that are really happening it's really really cool uh hats off to him i mean to do French Connection, Exorcist, and Network all in the same go, all in the same decade is, is something special. We don't often see, you know, honorary awards at the Oscars go to cinematographers. It's usually the you know, actors or directors or screenwriters. Yeah. Rarely do they really honor these guys. And I'm glad they did because, yeah, what a fucking run. My God. Three films where the cinematography, like, not only stands out, but is crucial to the, like, performance of the film. And this guy had an eye or has an eye. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he also is uh, 
the cinematographer for uh, Three Days of the Condor, another amazing paranoia type movie from the 70s starring Robert Redford uh, and uh, Faye Dunaway. Just awesome, fantastic movie. Highly suggest that one. And The Taking of Pelham 123, which is just like this jaw-dropping, out-and-out thriller like French Connection where you're the whole time you're just like, what the fuck, how are they doing this? And if you care about how movies are made, you're wondering who is behind the camera? <laughs> who is in charge of, of, of how the lighting and how it's looking and how it's kind of grainy and other times it's really bright. I love this guy. I'm not forgetting this man's name. He's going to be one of those dudes that I kind of, I'm going to watch his movies for his effort, for his craft. French Connection is just his second movie, second theatrical release. As a cinematographer, his first one is Stop from 1970. Uh, obviously, need to see that one. Uh, I need mm. to see the gang couldn't the the gang that couldn't shoot straight. There's movies here that I'm like, okay, I don't even care what the I don't <laughs> care what the reviews are. I want to watch them for Owen. Stop is an unreleased X-rated drama. Oh fuck yeah, <laughs> let's go. That's 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 directed by Bill Gunn. Oh man, yeah, got to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find a way to that. That sounds like some kind of film gasm action. Yeah. That sounds like something. I mean, if they haven't already, Criterion is gonna get their hands on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Oh, I love it, man. This is this is why we do this stuff, you know. Uh is looking at these people and what they mean to the history of, of cinema and how cool they are, how cool their craft is. Oh, fuck yeah. Especially, you know, I think in the 70s. We've often talked about how the 70s and the 60s, really, but it began in the 60s, was perfected in the 70s. This kind of new regime of independent filmmakers and just, you know, experimentation and cinematography completely changed in the 20th century to really reflect kind of the, you know, the dynamics and the intensity that film was finally embracing. And it's guys like this that were at the forefront of that shit. It's, it's important uh, to know their names. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the guys who you, you called French Connection at the top of the show. You called it a game changer. Yeah. And it, the, the only way it changes the game is if you make those risky decisions and those risky choices. And yeah. having Owen Roisman as your cinematographer, you know you're going to get a like, kind of distinct style and a distinct taste. And yeah. I, I love that. So uh, last guy we're going to talk about here, uh, another a guy looked up and I was like, what, what, where have I been? What's going on? He's the film editor of French connection, won the Oscar, uh, Gerald B. Greenberg also nominated for best film editing, Kramer vs. Kramer, 1979 and apocalypse now, 1979. What uh-huh. in the fucking hell? <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Wow. What a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of all you need are, are those three, but, Again, we like to look at look at other stuff. Uh, I think the '70s is, of course, a good place to look if you're trying to see other stuff he's done. He also uh, is the editor of Taking of Pelham One Two Three. The uh, They Might Be Giants, 1971. The Boys in the Band, 1970. S- some movies I, I've just heard. I have to see Dress to Kill, 1980. Heaven's Gate, 1980. Uh, Scarface, 1983. Good God. Uh, Wise Guys, 1986. The Untouchables, 1987. The Accused, 1988. <laughs> get off, get off. Like, <laughs> you can't touch this guy. Fucking Christmas Vacation, 1989. Awakenings, Awakenings, 1990. yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I'm sure we must have talked about him on the Awakenings episode. I just don't recall totally. We do so many of these. Yeah. And that, feel, that feels like so long ago. We must have brought him up. But I know that uh, that guy Anton first kind of took over that segment of the episode because we learned so much about him. And, and uh, he was, I believe, the uh, production designer for Awakenings was also the production di- designer for 1989 fucking Batman. Yeah. So I remember I remember that part vividly of that show. I don't remember the individuals, you know, because that kind of overshadowed it. But that's that's Gerald Green Gerald Greenberg is here to stay. <laughs> yeah, what a what a rock star. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I keep I keep going, you know, uh fucking American History X. Just crazy movie. Uh, Invincible 2006. What the hell? <laughs> Mark Marky Marky Mark. Really cool. Uh point break 2015. Yikes. <laughs> maybe maybe take that one off the the resume there uh this is this is a big part of our show is highlighting these people we only had six today but all of them are kind of badasses in their own right yeah damn straight these are the cool, guys cool. who build a movie yeah 100 uh, percent. yeah the, the and again those guys who were you know gene hackman it's if you cast him in your movie, cool. You know, it's going to work. It's probably going to work out uh, for the most part. But those guys who aren't in front of the camera and aren't, aren't necessarily stars, those, those are the people you and I, I know we really like to learn about here on this show because it's a good way to have context. You look at Friedkin, you, you, you look at their Oscar resume and you realize, okay, this isn't the end all be all, but this is our starting point, you know? And yeah. It's always, it's always good to kind of have a ground floor. And that's always always what it's going to be on this show, even if it's not their best, you know, quote unquote, their best work. It's good to have kind of a ground floor, uh, a place to start with. And that's always going to be their Oscar resume. Well said. Hell yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's talk some uh, 44th Academy Awards, man. <laughs> let's uh, make our way to our best picture rankings. But uh, we're going to talk about the eight categories that uh, for the French Connection is in. Because that's what we do, man. We got some stuff to say about all these categories. It's going to be a lot of fun because we did a lot of work by, by watching The Last Picture Show, both of us for the first time. Holy shit, what a movie. By doing that, we see a lot of other perform- uh, nominations. You know, you, yes. you witness a lot of other stuff. Rewatching A Clockwork Orange, you get other stuff. Watching Further on the Roof, you get a lot of other stuff. And watching Nicholas and Alexandra, you get a lot of that other stuff. So we have a lot to say within, within these categories. So where do you want to begin? You want to do the three non-wins? Yeah, I think and then, that'd be good. And kind of, okay, so let's see here. What should we start with? Let's go best sound, our favorite category. <laughs> take, it, take it away, man. <laughs> best sound. I know I bitch about this like every other episode, but it's just, it bothers me. It's stupid, yeah. <laughs> so vague. Ah, so we've got um, Diamonds Are Forever. Always great to see a Bond film get some Oscar love. Um, the French Connection. Koch. Mary, Queen of Scots, and the winner, Fiddler on the Roof. When it comes to best sound, you're not beating a musical. <laughs> that's just, that's the, them's the breaks. So I get Fiddler on the Roof taking this one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, especially during this era. We've done, by doing this show, you know, we've watched our fair share of musicals, and you kind of just realize that during the 60s, 70s, like, yeah, they're just going to take these. They're going to take these and then they're going to get other little nominations, but, but this is where they kind of get their gold. 
Yep. And, you know, this was we're nearing the kind of end of the, you know, the super dramatic Hollywood three and a half hour musical. Thank God. <laughs> I yeah. mean, some of them are good, but, you know, I I think I, I'm very happy. Hello, Dolly failed at the box office and kind of crumbled this whole genre. <laughs> Me too, man. I also just didn't like that movie, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, best cinematography. We've got uh, The French Connection by Owen Roisman, The Last Picture Show by Robert Surtees, Nicholas and Alexandra by Freddie Young, Summer of 42 by Robert Surtees again, and the winner, Fiddler on the Roof by Oswald Morris. I love that Robert Surtees got two nominations that year. Good for you. Yeah, what a badass. Summer of 42. Oh, boy. This is a movie I've definitely wanted to watch for some time. Uh, directed by Robert Mulligan. Written by Herman Rashur. I, I think this is a, a film I would like a lot. It's a coming-of-age movie, obviously. There's a connection there with the Last Picture Show, so uh, yeah. I'd love to finally see that one. Yeah, definitely sounds up your alley. Uh, cinematography has... There's some competition here. Um, yeah, <laughs> I fiddler on the roof surprised me. I, I thought I was going to be like just sitting there, like staring at the wall for three and a half hours, but I actually got really into that. Probably. Yeah, me too. I was watching it with my grandparents who fucking adore that movie and they were just like dancing around having fun. And I got into it because of them. So. But, um, the cinematography in that film is quite gorgeous. I get why it won, but I personally would give this to the last picture show. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good shout. Last picture show. Oh, boy. Well, we might as well open that can of worms. <laughs> uh, this movie, stunning, devastating, absolutely devastating. And a black and white movie that will rock you, that will rock you out of your fucking seat. It's like gorgeous isn't even a good enough word for how this movie's filmed and how it looks and how it presents itself. And how fucking classic it feels. You know, I, I, I've heard so much about Peter Bogdanovich. We probably sound stupid that this is our first time watching this movie. I don't care. You know, you have to find him at some point. Yeah. And I've always put Bogdanovich to the side. I've always been like, okay, I'll get to it one day. I'll get, I'll get to Paper Moon. I'll get, I'll get there. I'll get to those movies. I'll get. And finally, I was like, okay, it's time to, time to start the Peter Bogdanovich, you know, ride. Because when we worked at Draft House, they would often have him doing a little bit before the movie start. And I was always like, man, I hate that. I don't know his work. <laughs> I hate that. I want to be the person who knows what's going on here. And I, I want to know his, what his weight is within, you know, within the film community. And I finally feel like I'm opening that door and what a way to start this. This is a, this is a, you could call this a masterpiece. It's a breathtaking movie. My vote would go to French connection for all the reasons I talked about Owen Roisman, just a, a complete game changer. And is doing stuff that just there, there's on you people that have like the, the physical capability to do what's happening in that movie with the camera. But last picture show is certainly second place. Sorry, that just made me laugh. How you like you sung last picture show's praises, called it a masterpiece. And they're like, and I give it to the French connection. Yeah. Well, the French connection <laughs> is a masterpiece. I, there's no way you can, you can take that away in my mind. Uh, last picture show is in texas i love texas movies you know I, I was born here and started you know i'm doing a podcast here with you uh i'm in san antonio and you're like an hour away from me so it's just it, it's it's really cool that 
to see your state represented in a, in a movie is, is always, always a treat. And when it's done really well, like, like the last picture show and has my man, Jeff Bridges in it, just, yeah, it's a jaw dropping stuff. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I do like that. There's Texas is such a unique place. That's there, you know, kind of represents like the last real pocket of the wild west. So yeah. to have films, you know, take place here. It kind of changes the rules a little bit. Like The Last Picture Show, No Country for Old Men. They don't unfold the way you think they're going to unfold. And I think taking having them take place in Texas is a big part of that. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, best supporting actor. We have Jeff Bridges for The Last Picture Show. L- Leonard Frey for Fiddler on the Roof. Richard Jekyll for Sometimes a Great Notion. Roy Scheider for The French Connection. And the winner, Ben Johnson for The Last Picture Show. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I disagree. I don't think Ben Johnson really makes enough of a standout performance to win the Oscar in The Last Picture Show. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, if you compare, he's great. Sam the Lion, oh, what a character. Uh, and there's a couple moments where you're like, okay, I see... If you just watch those two clips, those two scenes, yeah, but that's it, it's taking into account the whole movie. Roy Scheider is like a massive part of the French Connection, massive. You know, he he sometimes takes over scenes, you know, and you're like you're watching him over Gene Hackman, and that to me is kind of like a sign. But I think Jeff Bridges takes this one. Dwayne, As do I? Yep. Dwayne fucking Jackson. Jesus Christ! If you were to if you were to, if you would have shown me this movie before, you know, watching like Big Lebowski and all these movies I've fallen in love with that Bridges is in later on in his career, I just would have, I, I would have been like, oh yeah, it makes, it makes total sense that at a super young age in his twenties, he does this good of a job in this movie. God, Jeff Bridges, he pulls you around like a rag doll in the last picture show. I, I was just shattered by him and he's, He's been nominated like seven fucking times and he's just a dynamite performer. And it started, it kind of started right around here. So it's really cool. You forget just how great of a chameleon he is. He never like, he's such a chill, you know, pothead, nice dude that you just, you forget that he's also, you know, true grit, hell or high water, fucking Tron, like the contender, like the dude is just a rock star every time. Star man. Like, even yeah. when the movie's not great, he is he sells it. But the last picture show, he is a, a dynamo, and he. Re- I think it would have been so cool for his career to win an Oscar that young, and I think that he deserved it. I mean, he's he's. There's times where he's fucking carrying that movie, where his performance is the anchor, and you just want to tell the guy like, dude, you can do better. Like, fuck her, <laughs> you can do so much better. Why, JC, fucking JC. <laughs> uh. I have, damn it. It's been a long time since I hated a movie character that much. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. God oh. damn. <laughs> Infuriating. Oh, God. This movie just is so devastating. I love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're in the same boat here. I think Leonard Frey, pretty good performance in Fiddler on the Roof. But yeah, I, I think Jeff Bridges is like, this is like an all timer. This is a must see. Even if you don't like the movie, if you don't care for Peter Bogdanovich, watch it for Dwayne Jackson, this character that will just just floor you. And the 
massive moments in the movie really come when he's in play to me. And I, I, I thought, I, I, I think that's a big plus for this category, for the supporting actor category, when they just lift everything that they're, every scene that they're in, even if it's not the whole movie. I just, I love him in this. Uh, I like that we're on the same page on that one. Really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, now we get to the wins. Uh, best film editing. Yes. We've got The Andromeda Strain, A Clockwork Orange, Koch, Summer of 42, and the winner, The French Connection. Uh, mm. The Andromeda Strain. I've, I don't know if I have it in me to watch that yet. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'd go for it. It's a Robert Weiss uh, story, and uh, you know, I would like to like to take that on at some point. Got a got an interesting cast, but yeah, it's definitely not going to be. Um, how do I say? Easy one. <laughs> I just right now, I just I don't really want to watch any movies about a plague. <laughs> just not feeling it. Um, no, it's it's not the best time. Yeah. Yeah. French Connection totally deserves film editing. I think that, yeah. Yeah. The way this yeah. film's paced comes from, it comes from the editing and, you know, the car, with the car chases and the foot chases and it all works. Cause yeah. it's edited so perfectly. So, yeah. The bit when uh, I, I pointed out there's, there's really cool times when you, you get a zoom in on Gene Hackman or Fernando Ray. How about when they're both, like fucking around with each other on the subway and you get that little nice little shot of him putting the umbrella in between the doors just to stop it right you know boom that stuff is pure gold yeah (laughs) the the wave oh the wave so french such a french wave just iconic i love how gene hackman kind of does it later yeah so cool (laughs) so cool uh yeah i i'm with you i haven't seen three of these movies but if it were a toss-up between clockwork which is a oh, we haven't really talked about that one yet it's yeah. not the easiest movie to talk about but i love it with all my heart as well i just i, I think french connection is its technicality is is on on a different different field oh yeah definitely best adapted screenplay all we right have <laughs> a clockwork orange the conformist the garden of the finzi contini's the last picture show and the winner of the French connection. Um, honestly, I think this should go to a clockwork orange. I think adapting that book was a pain in the ass considering half of it's not even in fucking English. Yeah. And the fact that Kubrick was able to make not only a coherent screenplay, but a devastating, unforgettable fucking movie out of it. Props. Yeah, I, I read that or I tried to read it uh, yeah, me too. when when I was 19. I, th- I, I remember I was living overseas. I was living in Romania at the time and I was consuming some some books that I, I figured, oh, I got I got to read these. I hadn't seen the movie yet. I didn't see this movie till later on. Uh, oh, wow. When I did see it, though, I mean, I, after I read the book, I was like, OK, let me see if I can get the uh, some translation here <laughs> and uh i watched the movie my my older brother was a big fan of it and he had it i watched it and i was just uh i i couldn't believe i feel like i had to keep a secret with a clockwork orange i felt like i can't 
quite tell people why I love this movie so much. And I don't think people are going to accept it well that I love this movie so much because it is pretty much as dark as it can get and has some material within it that people might not want to expose themselves to, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's some, there's some rough shit in this movie and, and, and likewise in the, in the novel. Uh, but I, but I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I love every scene. I love every decision. I love the colors in this movie. I love the performances and I especially love the screenplay. I, when Malcolm McDowell, you know, says, Oh, my brothers, you know, you just, <laughs> it's just game over for me. I, just, I, 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 f- I feel right at home from the first line. There was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Karoba milk bar trying to make up our Rasadox what to do with the evening. Yeah. You're hooked immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those just, you know, in, in the way Kubrick is, is controlling what's happening and what you're looking at. That combined with what you just said, that cold opening, and the Karova milk bar is just, what, what, where the hell are these dudes? They're supposed to all be teenagers. What, what, why are you here? What? Well, wait, go home, play some fucking video games. Like, get out of here. Yeah. Where, where the hell are we? Like, what dystopian future is this? It's there's so much to unpack with the Clockwork Orange. You got to watch it like five or six times to find all of it. And even then, you're still going to be pretty lost. Yeah, I've seen it so many times since I watched it that first time again when I was 19 uh, or so, 19 or 20. And within five or six years, I've just I, I it, it's one of those weird comfort food movies to me that yeah. some people would be like, Oh, what's wrong with you? But in my mind, it just makes sense. You know, it's just one of those. Oh, I just, I just like it. I just, I laugh at it. I, I get freaked out. I am blown away by the direction and by Malcolm McDowell is crazy good in it. Crazy, crazy good. And it's probably his best performance of his career. You know, it's the one he's most remembered by, you know, playing Alex is, a huge undertaking and to do it at that age, he does it almost perfectly. I, I can't believe the film wasn't up for, uh, for production design, frankly. I mean, I, yeah, I know. I, like every Kubrick movie is like, how, how are these not up for yeah. all this? Hollywood had a stuff. fucking beef with that guy or something. He, re- he got the occasional nomination, but it was always like begrudging, you know? So I was like, all yeah. right, fine. I guess this was really good. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. No, Kubrick's the man and clockwork is definitely one of my top five favorite Kubrick movies. And one day that's going to happen on this show where we'll properly go through his stuff. And uh, we did Dr. Strangelove a long time ago on this show. And I'd love to bring him back up and it might be with the clockwork one day. Boy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, not, not, not for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that takes us to best director. We've got Stanley Kubrick for A Clockwork Orange, Norman Jewison for Fiddler on the Roof, Peter Bogdanovich for The Last Picture Show, John Schlesinger for Sunday Bloody Sunday, and their winner, William Friedkin, for The French Connection. God <sighs> damn. What a group. I just want to point out Norman Jewison got put on Fiddler on the Roof because the producers thought he was Jewish because his name is Norman is Jewison, and he had to tell them, like, you know, I'm not Jewish, right? Just needed, <laughs> I needed that to be said. Uh, <laughs> so good, man. Where, where does your vote go for, for this category? Fuck. Um, but yeah, this is a murderer's row. 
we, I haven't seen Sunday Bloody Sunday. Me neither. Uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. I, I've seen you two play the song in concert, but I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know this might be a surprise. I'm, I'm going to give this to Norman Jewison. I was going to say it's going to be a surprise for me because I'd give it to Peter Bogdanovich. Okay. We are literally okay. throwing Friedkin and Kubrick to the curb for the new guys. Yeah. Us, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Any of those four is fine with me. He's totally fine. I think Norman Judison, how he's able to make that three hour, you know, I, I, I gave the movie four out of five stars. I give it an eight. I think it's really good yeah. for, for the, on the roof and is, is, if you haven't seen it, it's totally worth your time. Uh, if you have a three-hour afternoon, you just want to kill. Uh, yeah. I think you wrote in your review, you could do worse. <laughs> you could do worse. We have done worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could watch Hamlet from 1948 and totally ruin your afternoon. Or you could watch Fit on the Roof, 1971, a movie that has a, has a couple of gutsy, gutsy, gutsy calls towards the end where I thought what I was watching was okay, they're going to wrap this up in a nice little bow and da-da-da-da-da, la-di-da-di-da. But really, you have, a, you have a, a, an ending that leaves you just kind of sunken in and you have to deal with these choices. And I love how the idea of, is my faith worth it? Do I turn on my faith? Do I, what do I, do I stand with my heart or do I stand with my mind? Like all those little decisions you have to make, not little, big decisions you have to make as a human being. I love how they're represented here, especially towards the end of the film. And I thought Norman Jewison had a tremendous amount of touch on that and kind of making it not just this musical that's whimsical and oh, no, no, no. It's really, really gutsy and serious at some points. And it makes you really think about what you believe and what you stand up for. And I, I, I love when a movie does those things. Yeah, for a movie to be entirely steeped in a religion I know nothing about, to make that accessible and like a little relatable at times, that's impressive work. And yeah, you know, also just keeping your, you know, keeping my interest for three hours and 20 minutes. That's, that's impressive too. Uh, it's another film on, on our list here. Couldn't, couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think it'd be cool if, uh, if Jewison took this, but honestly, you know, of the four I've seen, any of them could have taken this. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I would have no problem with Kubrick, of course. How we just spoke about how Clockwork is just a frightening and captivating movie, and French Connection is just this perfect thriller from the seventies. And Last Picture Show shows Texas, Texas in a way that you 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 just don't see very often. Uh, even when there's a bunch of Texas movies, like you, it's like its own country. <laughs> so, with that being said, I think Peter Bogdanovich. I think it would have been cool to see him take this this award. Because there are decisions. This movie takes place uh, like fall, early fall of 1951, all the way to kind of the end of the school year, like May or June of 1952. Almost covers a full year, but not quite. And it it makes these cuts, these hard cuts, where you, in some movies, might be left wondering, oh, what happened in between, you know, this month and this month. But with last picture show because it moves so well like fucking butter you don't have those second you don't you don't second guess yourself or peter bogdanovich you're just like okay i trust that whatever is happening in between that time he's going to take care of in some other way with the narrative and he does that over and over when dwayne jackson uh, jeff bridges character we all of a sudden find out that he's a part of like the military 
it just makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, that amount of time went by. He didn't know what to do. Him and his friend had a falling out. Okay, makes sense. And when I don't, when, when a movie does that, because movies do that a lot, they take their liberties with the story and cutting certain stuff and not telling you certain pieces of someone's life. That's the difference in like a wonderful movie and then a movie turned into a fucking miniseries these days because they're like, oh, we have to say everything. We have to spoon feed every little thing to the audience. I love when a movie is smart enough and the director is that good to where that doesn't need to be done. It's just, no, here's the two hours and just fucking deal with it. You know, some, some like, like Boyhood, one of my favorite movies of this, of, of this century really does that so well. It is three hours, but it cuts so much stuff and decides to take very specific things from uh, Eller Coltrane, uh, I think his name's Mason. Yeah, Mason's life in that movie, you know, showing certain glimpses with him and his dad, Ethan Hawke. So showing certain stuff with Patricia Arquette, his mom. I, I love those touches. When I'm not harping on the stuff that I'm missing and I'm just focused on what I'm seeing. Yeah, That's such a powerful kind of, trick of the trade uh and peter bogdanovich is he's got my attention well they have to you know i mean how do you compress a person's entire life into two hours yeah it's not happening you gotta you gotta kind of make a greatest hits real and yeah 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 boyhood did that and yeah i think uh last picture show is very much a you know the most important moments of these kids lives at the end of high school and this was yeah. a time when you're like, what do you do? You either join the army or you went to work with dad at the mill. There's no really yeah. like, or college. Yeah. But, again, this is, this is that early fifties, you know, yeah. this is a very interesting time in America. Well, it's kind of always been an interesting time in America. Well, I've never seen fifties kids acting like people before. That's, that was a big mm. thing. Like they're always, you know, mm. it's always Pleasantville or leave it to Beaver or this like idealized, you know, Oh gee, Willikers, you know, Sandra, will you meet me down at the, like all that shit yeah or like, was, or like a bunch of greasers yeah yeah, yeah. the fucking socials it's the outsiders you know hey what you know i can't take that shit where yeah, this was either. you know we're teenagers we're horny and we're gonna fuck everything that moves and it is forever like you know the relationship you make in high school to them this is the rest of their lives they don't think past tomorrow night and that's i've never seen that you know, shown like this before. I was very impressed with that. Yeah. <laughs> great movie. Great, 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 great movie. <laughs> it, it, it just deserves all, all, all this, this, this attention and these nominations and maybe should have won a couple more, you know? Maybe. Yeah. That takes us to best actor, which is a very interesting bunch. Again, we've got Peter Finch for Sunday, bloody Sunday, Walter Matthau for Koch. George C. Scott for The Hospital, Topol for Fiddler on the Roof, and the winner, of course, Gene Hackman for The French Connection. Oh, I got to see The Hospital. God damn it. <laughs> Patty Chayevsky, Patty Chayevsky, a guy, a guy behind Network, the story of Network. At, at, oh, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing with my life? George C. Scott, just a brilliant, brilliant performer. Got to see The Hospital. I have a feeling my opinion will change when I see that movie. <laughs> yeah, George C. Scott has that effect on people. Yeah, 100%. So, um, as it stands, Hackman, I assume, for you. Yeah, between, between the two, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I can't say, you know, if Peter Finch is another 
awesome performer. Got to see Sunday Bloody Sunday. I, I, I can't can't quite say, but yeah, if it was between Topol and Gene Hackman, I, I'd go I'd go Hackman. I I love him. I love him as Popeye. He's just so good. Personally, I think one hundred percent that this was Malcolm McDowell's award that he got robbed I, of. Agreed. But Hackman does a good job, and yeah, he, he'll put the in. I would have loved to have heard Topol's speech, though. I feel like he would have been very yeah, excited yeah. and humble about this. He's he's great. He's great in Fiddler on the Roof. You know, you're asking him to do all kinds of shit in that movie, and and he's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that takes us to Best Picture. Hell yeah, we've got A Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, The Last Picture Show, Nicholas and Alexandra, and the winner, The French Connection. And we have ranked these five films, uh, five, of course, being the worst, one being the best. And uh, this is a showdown. So let's do this. Oh, God, the classic showdowns. Um, <laughs> these are these are so much fun. You know, going five to one is the best. Uh, I'm going to let you start. But before we do that. Clue Jane Fonda, I have to, I have to shout her out one more time. Uh, I was I was incorrect. She, that is her first win, but her first nomination is 1969's They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Of course. Silly me. 1977, Julia. 1978, Coming Home. She won. China Syndrome, 1979. On Golden Pond, 1981. And The Morning After, 1986. Just a fucking Jeez. crazy, crazy run that she went on in the 70s and 80s. I love her to death. Uh, a while back. I kind of I watched a lot of those movies and I've watched other ones that are outside of that group since because Criterion put a big collection up for her. And I, I just had no idea. You know, you, you hear hype about old, old actors from different eras and don't have the knowledge for yourself. But I love taking that dive. And Clute, to me, before we get to this five, well, it totally deserves a spot in, in the best picture category. The way Malcolm McDowell deserves a spot in the best actor category. Clute should be here. I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't really know what was going on in the, in the, in the room. I mean, there's a couple movies I would take out to put it in. It's just, it's that good. I love Clute. I got to see Clute. I am very, I'm, I'm not well-versed in Jane Fonda at all. She's an actress I really have to look into. You, you also, I know you, I, I know you know your, a, a few things about Donald Sutherland. He is fucking outstanding in that movie. And Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider plays like an insane <laughs> pimp in that movie. So, <laughs> what a guy. That alone, I got to see. Yeah, uh, he, dude, there's one scene where you're just like, dude, he's on cocaine. There's no way Roy Scheider is doing this scene without being just high off his ass. There's no way. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. One I film it. I got to shout out because it's just, it's in my top 10 of all time Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <clears throat> of course, I knew that was coming. Had to. How does that not get more love here? It's one of the most celebrated films of all time. Everyone grew up with that movie. <laughs> it's I, I want Gene Wilder to have a spot here. I want, you know, best original song, pure imagination. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, so I just I wish Silly. that got more love. It only got a nomination for score. It deserves so much more production design, sound design. Like it, it, it had a shot at everything. Yeah, I agree. It is. Uh, I think. I mentioned a French connection. I think those are the two that are probably from 1971. They're like, what are you doing? If you haven't seen these, what are you doing? Yeah. I would personally throw dirty Harry into that mix as well. Okay. 
No, that's a good one. That's a good shout. Dirty Harry. God, what a movie. Oh, <laughs> I mean, Dirty Harry. Yeah. If we're doing our top fives in 1971, it just looks way different. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I've only seen 13 movies from this year. I think I've seen around that somewhere in between 10 and 15. There's, there's some movies like let's scare Jessica to death that I'm like, that movie's fucking kick ass, <laughs> random weird horror movie. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like this year a lot from what I've seen. One of my favorite underdog films in 1971 is Duel. Oh, good shout. Good shout. So simple. Just crazy ass truck driver chases guy for an hour and a half. That's the whole movie. But you're so goddamn mesmerized. It's impossible to not get drawn into it. It's great. It's all you need. Oh, yeah. Love shouting out just random, random films. Beautiful. Well, uh, yeah, let's, I, I got a sidetracked a little bit there with Clute, but who gives a shit? Uh, go ahead and start off with your fifth. I think it's the same for me. Yeah, it's Nicholas and Alexandra. <laughs> yeah, um, 100%, 100%. This belongs at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Does not hold a candle to these other four films. It's a long-winded, boring, over, like overzealous Russian drama that isn't even telling the right story. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, you know, visually it's great. I love seeing a lot of, you know, familiar actors like Ian Holm and Brian Cox have mm. bit parts before they really got going. But overall, it's just, I don't care. Like, when you're telling stories of big historical figures like this, you got to get the facts straight. And painting Nicholas II as kind of a sympathetic character is a bit disingenuous, in my opinion. I think, you know, his poor leadership decisions got a lot of people killed in World War One, he was, you know, his um, forced abdication and then the, the Bolshevik Revolution led to a hell of a lot more people getting killed over the next century. So I blame pretty much the entire Cold War on this inept bastard. <laughs> yeah, right. Rightfully so. Rightfully yeah. so. Uh, the runtime. Okay. I'm not. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's long. It's really long. The, the, I went into it open minded because. Uh, Franklin J. Schaffner is the director of Patton from a year before the best picture winner, almost a three hour movie. Yeah. There's like two fucking discs. There's like a, you know, Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's also really, really long. What that movie does is it gives you this singular character, Patton, George C. Scott, unreal performance. That's a big part of it. I think it, it, it does something that other three-hour movies fail to do, which is pull you in multiple directions the entire time, where you're constantly, oh, man, this guy's doing some good here. Oh, man, this guy's a dick. Oh, this guy's doing some good. And Nicholas and Alexander, it just kind of slowly keeps going down and down and down. There's interesting stuff. It looks gorgeous. The production design is out of this world, and the commitment on that front is amazing. But as a whole movie... I think you could skip it. I think I don't think it's totally worth that three hours. It's not worth your time. Like Fiddler on the Roof is worth your time. Uh, there's a lot better three-hour movies. I I think I ended up giving it a seven, but I I don't know a six or seven. I guess it's not it's not terrible, but it's also not good. And like you said, is disingenuous to those char- you know those characters and those people who lived real lives and ruined a lot of shit. Uh, the ending is bonkers and, and is pretty, you know, yeah, pretty wild uh, to handle, but doesn't really deserve that ending with what it's doing the like hour before that. So I don't know. It's tough. It could have been 
trimmed down for sure. I think, you know, why bother including the Bolshevik revolution if it's just going to take up like 15 minutes? I mean, that's yeah. the most interesting part of this is the transition yeah. to communist Russia and it barely touches uh-huh. it. Yeah, that's where I was. I was kind of confused. I was like, wait, what is this about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and that was a shame. Um, the ending, you know, you see it. If you know anything about Russian history, you know what's coming. You know the Romanovs were assassinated. And there's that whole, you know, did Anastasia get away? And they made an animated movie about it for some reason. Yeah. Uh, no, she didn't. She's dead, too. <laughs> I don't know where that fucking came from. Like, all the bodies Disney. were found. <laughs> Disney just being weird. <laughs> so weird um i thought it was i did like tom baker as rasputin i didn't expect that yeah he was great i was like let's just get more of him yeah yeah it's like it's the fourth doctor as fucking rasputin that's so neat but um other than that i just it felt like a like a greatest hits reel of russian history and then once they got into siberia it just slowed down even further like just I was I remember thinking, can they just kill him already so I could move on? I remember thinking yeah. that, like, just execute him. Jesus Christ, we know you're gonna do it. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. get it over with. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of uh, fucked up because these were real people, but you know, they were assholes. Real monsters, yeah. yeah. Did the kids deserve it? Probably not. No, no <laughs> child really no deserves that because they haven't decided. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't have a tremendous amount to say about it. I watched it in like three sittings because it just it just required that from my my attention span is if it's not you know Paul Thomas Anderson's super cutty and film and edited you know every second yeah. I'm gonna get bored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just kind of powered through and just thought you know like this who's this for? This is so oddly paced. American audiences, most of them, odds are, are not going to care about this story, especially yeah. in the early 70s. You know, a biopic on a Russian uh, dictator. I mean, that's some that's some ballsy, you know, that's ballsy for the career. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're going to do General Patton and you're going to follow that with Nicholas II, like great leader, you know, great, like regarded as a great American versus a poor Russian leader. It's just an odd, you know, it's like you couldn't do a more polar opposite biopic. It's, I don't know. I wonder what he did next, Schaffner. Um, after up. Nicholas and Alexandra. I know right before that was Planet of the Apes, 1968. Fuck. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, what? Papillon. Okay. Oh, there you go. 1973, another two and a half hour monster. And then the boys from Brazil, which I've always wanted to see. So mm-hmm. yeah, he did, he did. He kept going. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Kept going until 1989. Uh, Welcome home, which is an hour and a half. It's like, oh, okay, where where was that at uh, the whole time? He passed away that year, so that was his last movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a career worth worth keeping an eye out for and giving another chance. Because yeah. you know there, you know there's good stuff there, but Nicholas and Alexander is not it. Nope, this is the last time I'll probably ever talk about that movie. Yeah, yeah. There's no way I'm going to ever bring it up. Yeah, in a, <laughs> in a conversation like you got to see this. Yeah. And honestly, who the hell else on earth would I talk about that movie with? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Definitely in the rear view. Uh, 
you're number four. Here we go. It's, it's time to get the rest of these movies are good. It's time yeah. to get serious. What's yeah. your number four? Uh, my number four is Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, same. Yeah, and that's not to disparage this movie. It's just the other three are really good. But yeah, so much like, Fiddler on the Roof. It's, it's four straight eights for me. Oh, wow. These are four eights. Okay. Yeah, I, I, mean, I definitely differ. I mean, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who posted the reviews. I know, I know what you gave French Connection. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my first reviews I ever wrote. It's only like a paragraph long because I was like, I don't even know what to say. It's just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, so Fiddler on the Roof is a Broadway play about a uh, Jewish dairy farmer named Tevya who wants the best for his daughters, but his daughters have all fallen in love with men with no means. And he's like, God damn it. And he literally he's constantly asking God, like, really, can, can I get a win here? Which is funny yeah. as hell. I love that. Then <laughs> Tevya is such a charming guy. Like he's so, you know, you like Topol does such a great job making this guy likable and you want to see his family succeed. And the songs are so memorable. I've had, if I was a rich man stuck in my head for like a month now. Oh yeah. <laughs> Same. How oh. can you not? Yeah. And also, you know, it ties in with history with, you know, world war one, uh, the Russians trying to get rid of the Jewish people, every culture, you know, every European culture seems to do this. Just, you know, get blame the Jews, get rid of them. It fucking sucks. But what you know, weaving that into the story adds, you know, a whole other layer of sympathy and uh, just really keeps your interest the whole time. It's and I love seeing Tevya kind of lose his shit every time one of his daughters says, This is the man I love. And every time he's just like, Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he just kind of does that that big dad sigh, like, oh. <laughs> it's hilarious oh yeah this was this is a good movie it's on prime video right now um so is uh so is nicholas and alexander but if you're going to choose one of the three hour ones this this is yeah. this is the one uh again like i said a little bit ago when we were talking about uh norman jewison in the director category and why i think he had a chance to win that it 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 toys with huge huge human kind of moments and these formative experiences as a, as a person. And it looks, it looks incredible. I think that's one of the main reasons it's aged well, along with uh, it's, it's music is it's fun to look at. There are times where you're like, Holy shit. You know, this scenery is partly why film was, you know, film was ever made was, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to, show someone who lives in New York city, what it looks like in Texas. Wouldn't it be cool to show someone who lives in Japan, what it looks like in Los Angeles. That stuff is, that stuff is cool. And when you care a lot about moments in time and history with that backdrop and what you know is coming, uh, what, what is coming for Jewish people, it, 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 like you said, adds a big old fat layer to it. So I, I had a blast with this. This is an eight, eight out of 10 for me. Yeah, I, I, I will probably buy it and I will probably buy it soon. I think, I think it's something I want to rewatch, you know, and I would love to watch with my daughter one day. I, I would love to do that. That's nice. That's sweet. Um, yeah. I immediately bought a copy for my grandma cause she didn't have one. And so now we always have Fiddler on the roof. There you go. Um, I, set. I do have one little funny tidbit regarding this film back in 2004. 
um, Alfred Molina played Tevya on Broadway in Fiddler mm. on the Roof. And he had just gotten that role towards the end of filming Spider-Man 2. <laughs> so there is footage of Doc Ock in full costume singing Tevya, learning his lines. And it is so fun. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I recommend man. looking that up just for the laughs. Yeah, I will. I will. I love me some Alfred Molina. And that sounds that sounds like Alfred Molina. <laughs> Those two things at once, you know, like a a definition of an actor and then him playing fucking Doc Ock in this monster blockbuster movie. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, all right. So that was, that was your four as well. Yes, it is. So uh, down to the top three. This right. is where it gets really, really interesting. I know for a fact, this is going to be different. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. My number three is the French connection. Okay. Okay. That's, we are different. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, so <laughs> the French connection is a vastly important film for cinema. It's a fun, fast paced crime thriller with memorable characters. Um, I think that if there was no French connection, I doubt there would have been a taxi driver. Uh, just, you know, films that really showcased a time in American history that was just dangerous as shit. Uh, but, you know, you see it from the cop's perspective in, in French Connection. You see it from the criminal's perspective in Taxi Driver. And I like that. I think that's a, actually a pretty badass double feature. And uh, I like it. I just, I like these other two films just a little bit more. Totally bit fair. More. I, I think, you know, French Connection's, it's got its audience. It's a cool movie. Last Picture Show and A Clockwork Orange. Uh <sighs> They, they floored me. These are one yeah. of a kind movies. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. There are movies that do do what French Connection is doing. I mean, even even a couple years before Bullet, you know, that's a movie that people are saying, okay, all right, well, text, you know, French Connection is just kind of trying to improve what's going on in Bullet. Well, you know, I think I think you're right. I think Picture Show and, and Clockwork are singular experiences. Yeah, that's that pretty much what it comes down to for me. Like, I love when we actually have a legitimate showdown and I have to think about this shit. Oh, it's... yeah. I've been thinking about it all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've gone back and forth all day with my top three. Four, five and four were pretty clear. Nicholas and Alexander is very clearly the fifth and should be cut out for a lot of other movies. But yeah. Fiddler on the Roof, I think Fiddler on the Roof, like, you know, has a, re, has, has a good good chance here uh, in being in this in this category but uh, as far as competing against the other three i don't think it has has much of a shot uh so french connection number three for you i like it i like it a lot uh i think you'll be equally surprised here when i say that my number three is a clockwork orange yeah yeah there we go yep (laughs) uh ah fuck me uh clockwork orange Again, one of my favorite Kubrick movies, one, one of my favorite movies to just kind of, if I'm alone and I can't sleep, uh, I'll just throw this weird ass crazy movie on and not sleep even more. <laughs> uh, it's like it, it's like it enhances some sort of dark thing that goes on in my mind when I can't sleep or it's like, oh, I, I better, I better watch something that's going to keep me up and make me make me fucking miserable. <laughs> Uh, Clark Orange does that. Stanley Kubrick does that for me. Uh, I love this movie. I'll just say 
that this was the most difficult decision to make when we do, since we've done the best picture showdowns because Clockwork Orange, I've always, always had as a 10 in my book. I've always had it, you know, right when I got letterbox, one of the first things I did was Clockwork Orange, five stars, like no fucking question. And I'm going to have some stuff to explain as we move on with our other two. I, I just, with best picture and this category and what it means, this movie is not for everybody. It is, some people probably should not watch it. Uh, I think it will, it could heighten anxiety for a lot of people. I've watched it with other people or shown it to other people who are like, are you crazy? Like, what is wrong with you? Why do you like this? Why are you showing me this? And I have no way to really justify it. I just like, it's just great storytelling and it's fucking nuts and it's a crazy movie. I don't, I don't know how to properly say, I love a clockwork orange, you know, and just say that as a sentence, it deserves context. It deserves explaining. And I don't, I just don't, I mean, that movie is uber dark. One of the darkest movies that I think's ever been up for best picture. I, I, I had texted that to you. I was like, dude, it's just, just crazy that it was up for best picture. I mean, this is the 44th Academy Awards. We've we're, we're more than double past that, you know, in, in, in real life now. And this is 50 years ago. And I just, I mean, like Parasite, which one, you know, the 2019 um, films, it, it beat all the 2019 films. There's some really dark moments in that movie. There's some really dark moments in Joker, but Clockwork is like evil. It's pure, like pure evil. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe if I were doing a straight up top five of my, just, just my, you know, 1971 movies, I might think differently, but when I'm looking at best picture and what that means and how important that is to people who do care about the Oscars, I just, I I don't, I don't know if it beats out these other two. And I'll have more to say about that when I, when I say my other two films, because again, I, I think clockwork is a 10 out of 10 in my mind and, a must-see for people who want to go to strange places, but not a must-see for everybody. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's a that's a, a movie that can make or break a relationship. Uh, yes. Yeah, you got to be, you know, you got to really know somebody before you recommend a Clockwork Orange. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right from the get-go. It's like right from the get-go, you're like, oh boy. You're like looking over at the person you're watching it with and they're like, uh all bug-eyed and just uh why are they doing this why are they doing this you're like i don't know i don't know it's fucking crazy though right <laughs> yeah i'll have more to i'll have more to say when we get to it on my on my top five but uh yeah i had a feeling the other two i feel like over the course of you know the years we've known each other in this show i've gotten to know and to know you and the way you rank films pretty well so i won't say this is a surprise okay that's fair that's fair <laughs> i love it i love that i've seen clockwork so many times within a like seven year span and obviously i talked about how three of these were a first time watch for me so <laughs> wild uh two right My number two. two yeah we're down so i had nicholas we both had nicholas alexander both had feather on the roof at four and then at three you had french and i had clockwork okay my number two is the last picture show same. <laughs> I I expected to hate this. I, I I like I love Jeff Bridges. 
I don't really care for coming of age movies. I think they're insufferable most of the time. I've, I've talked about that on, on a few, a few of these shows. I just don't care for teenagers and their petty little problems. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> something about this movie of what Bogdanovich did with this story, I did care and I was drawn in and I did feel for these characters. And I was surprised at that. Like, you know, something Bogdanovich did made my heart grow three sizes. I don't know what happened, but suddenly I was like, you know, don't, don't be with this girl. You know, Cloris Leachman's really nice. Like, she's a good person. Be with her. Like, dude, what are you doing? Stop thinking with your dick for five seconds to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I was surprised. I was into this. Um, I think the cinematography is beautiful. I think the performances are fantastic. And it's a story about a town losing its soul. And I, I think that's brilliant. Uh, I think this had a really cool shot at Best Picture. I think it would have represented a lot if this had won the big, the big one. Uh, I think it's one of the smartest coming-of-age films I've ever seen and something I'm definitely going to watch again. I have a feeling oh, yeah. that in, in the future, this is going to be its own episode on this show. Uh, and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no question. It's, it's at my number two, and this is where I have some explaining to do because I gave this movie a nine. Uh, yeah, I so want to hear what's up with that. <laughs> so Clockwork is a, is a 10 and Last Picture Show is a 9. Last Picture Show very well could move up after like a couple more watches to a 10. Uh, but I, I I personally like Clockwork more for me. The Last Picture Show is like, dude, you have to see this. I don't care who you are. I don't care what movies, what kind of movies you like. I don't care I don't care what you've seen and what you think, you know, last picture show is, is a must. <clears throat> Anarine, Texas, tiny town in North in North Texas, ghost town. The, like you said, coming of age, you know, all the, all these things. I definitely thought, Oh, this is probably gonna be the one that Connor likes the least. I thought, I thought, Oh, movie about, you know, fucking, you know, Russia while it's going through all these massive changes i was like oh connor's gonna love that you know and then i thought last picture show oh boy coming of age texas movie here we go <laughs> but it but it, it goes beyond it goes so far beyond that i think you mentioned earlier how how honest and how true it is to how teenagers actually act so many coming of age movies are just like this is horse shit yeah. like the these these kids that are supposed to be 16 17 are, are like have have shit just totally figured out or they're just insufferable like you mentioned and i just it's got to be somewhere in between it's gray it's not black and white it's gray and these characters are very gray you know uh sunny is you know right right from the beginning of the film he's breaking up with a girl and then going on he's like in this fucking you know weird affair with his football coach's mom like what the fuck what's going on there i think it was his football I, coach's wife I, I, I meant wife i meant wife mom would, that would have been be a like lot weirder 90, she'd be like 90 years old i'm sorry wife yeah uh what a crazy realistic depiction of what could happen in a in a tiny town you know uh what could happen in during this time when there's no phones there's no way to really know what's going on with somebody. There's no way to track them, you know. Uh, oh, well, he'll just be home at eight o'clock. So come on over whenever you want after school, you know, and we'll just bang it out. And you're like, what? What in the world? And then 
I was floored by the scenes where, you know, Dwayne Jackson, Jeff Bridges character, all of his friends are like fucking pushing him to go to this hotel room so he can lose his virginity and da, 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 da. And then they don't do it because he, he can't get an erection. And they're, his friends are like, how was it? And he's like, oh, it was great. You know, and it has to lie about this. The, the, the little tidbits it has at just how fucked up masculinity is, you know, this is the 50s and it's just the exact same now. It's just the yeah. exact fucking same. It's timeless because of that, because it hones in on what people really do and how they really act at this age. And I, I loved that. I loved that. I, I loved Sam the Lion's character, his little bits where he's just kind of explaining his little wisdom, his little nuggets of wisdom. I love those bits. And the, the layout of the town, you know, the little, the little changes that, that show that it's the 50s in fucking Texas, you know, where women aren't allowed to play pool you know i fucking crazy you know it's just it's just a ah, it's a borderline masterpiece i really do think it'll move up to a 10 if i watch it like one more time maybe two more times but i i have it as a nine you know i gave it four and a half stars on letterboxd and i was like fuck i'm gonna have to i think this might be a better overall movie than clockwork because everybody should see it and everybody will probably take something away from it while clockwork is like eh, it has its audience and the audience is fucked <laughs> and, and there's no two ways about it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I've never really done that before. I've never really cited this way where it's like, Oh, I personally like this movie maybe a little bit more because of what it kind of does for me. And you know, it, it, in my soul, but I can't see how someone wouldn't be rocked by last picture show. Yeah, me too. Like you said, this movie represents everything I usually cannot stand in film, but mm-hmm. something, you know, it drew me in. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's great. That's something special. Yeah. God, it's so good. I'm going to buy that shit. I also love the title, the title. And then you have uh, Dwayne and Sonny seeing a movie together. Like, holy fuck, that just tore me to pieces. Them seeing a movie and then kind of saying goodbye at the end. And then Sonny's like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And so he goes back to Ruth and you're like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> uh, it, it will it will 100% get its own episode at some point. And I would love to do top five Texas movies for that uh, Texas based movies, mm-hmm. uh, a, a big place, big place in my heart, you know, and it would be a very tough top five, probably the toughest we've ever done. So I would love to do that, man. I know. I know Link later takes a lot from Picture Show. You know, you see a lot of Days Confused in it. You see a lot of Everybody Wants Some in it. You see a lot of just that honest conversation from it in Link later style. So it, it's an important movie for for what I watch and what I've fallen in love with. So Bogdanovich, you're the man, and I you 100 have my attention. In my Sopranos rewatch, I had completely forgotten that he played Doctor Melfi's therapist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> He's everywhere. Yeah, dude's everywhere. Oh, boy. Um, so, obviously, my number one is A Clockwork Orange. Yes. Uh, now, I feel like I got some explaining to do. Uh, you're safe here with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love this movie. This movie is one of the most fucked up, unsettling, sick movies that has ever been up for Best Picture. And I think yeah. for that reason, it should have taken the gold. I think mm. Kubrick deserved one. I think that this film winning Best Picture would have done so, so much for the future of horror and how the Academy recognized it. 
I think that would have been substantial. I think if Clockwork had gotten a win for Best Picture, I think I don't think it would have been crazy to think you know Texas Chainsaw might have made a bit of an impression on the Academy. I think they would have looked at horror differently in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I think I, I think by by that logic, I think Exorcist might beat The Sting. It might have. Yeah, absolutely. If it had that extra push of horror, having a, an Oscar win like that. Or, or Carrie maybe getting in 1976 to, to try to take down Rocky. Yeah. Shit looks different. And this film is unlike anything else I've ever seen. I've never seen anything that comes remotely close to, to resembling this movie. This is a one of no. a kind, what in the fuck did I just watch kind of movie. No matter how many times you watch it, you walk away thinking like, I need to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, I don't feel clean right now. I need to go through a car wash. Just yeah. <laughs> I don't have a Bible, but I'm going to go get one. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. If there's movies playing in hell, this is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's wild. I, re- I remember back. At, oh boy. A while ago, um, Julie and I did a filmgasm episode. I think it was the sixth sense where I was, um, I did a whole bit. No, it was fatal attraction. That's what it was. It was fatal attraction. Ah, oof. Yeah. And I did a whole bit on horror movies that have been nominated for Best Picture. And A Clockwork Orange and Deliverance were right next to each other. And I had to kind of, I said something about how, like, the I don't want to watch Deliverance immediately because I know the rape scene is going to be, like, horrific for me. And Julie pointed out something great that I want to address now because I've never addressed it. And it's always kind of ate at me. It's she argued, why would the rape scene in Deliverance freak me out? But I still go back to a clockwork orange. Yeah, straight up. And I don't really have a good answer for that. It's it's fucked up, but I think I've just I've seen it enough to the point where I've gotten desensitized. And that's not cool. It's it's a disturbing scene, but it doesn't take me out of the movie anymore. And I don't know if that's just something that I should be wary of, uh, it might be. I think, you know, certain things you have to be aware that you're like, that like, this is sick and disturbing. I need to be uncomfortable right now. Mm. Yeah, I know. And I know what you mean. I know what you mean. This is a movie that I've, I've just seen so many times now that I, like, I expect everything that happens in it. And I'm not excusing uh, the scene by any means here. No, uh, no, no. It's just, it's incredibly horrific. I just find it interesting that I don't feel the same now as I did when I saw it the first, first time I watched this movie, I despised it. I thought this is disgusting. This is horrifying. It's kind of boring. I don't like this. And then I watched it again for a Kubrick focused class I took in college, which was the most fun I've ever had in college. And we watched The Clockwork Orange again. And I remember my teacher warning everybody, like, look, this is not a fun movie. Like, be prepared to talk heavily. No, next time we meet, this is going to disturb some of you. And I'd watched it again. And I was like, yeah, there's there's something here. And then for this, I watched it. No, I think this is like the fourth or fifth time. And I just I just watched it like a regular movie. Like there wasn't really any moment of like, ugh. I was just kind of like, oh, all right. And then I went and got an iced tea and came back. And I'm wondering, yeah. like, is that is that fucked up or is that just natural progression? I don't know. <sighs> I think there's also a 
those are fantastic points to bring up and a big reason why I have it third here, you know, is like, Hmm. I don't think everybody needs to see it. I, I think there's some people who just, just, yeah, just let it, let it go. Like, let it happen, yeah. let it go. But yeah. then there's, there's this, there's this whole cult. There, there's, there was a bar in San Antonio. I don't know if it's still there. There was a bar called the Corova bar in San Antonio, downtown San Antonio, you know, culturally this movie, for whatever reason, people just latch onto that shit. And I know it's Kubrick, you know, I know, yeah. I know it's, you know, it's, it's the man himself and it's got, the creepy ass music and these crazy tones and amazing performances. But at the end of the day, you know, it has three or four scenes that are like, holy fuck, what am I watching? Why am I watching this? You know, you pointed out, you had texted me. There's a, there's a scene where a woman gets beat with a giant ceramic cock. Why, what are we doing? You know? And it's, there's no way to, there's no way to justify it. That's not happening. You know, and, and I think culturally this movie is just so large now, whereas something like Deliverance, it's not. And that's what you know about it. You know, that's coming. That's and you're true. like, oh, Jesus, like, I'm going to, ha- I'm going to have to go through a scene that I know I'm going to have a hard time with. With Clockwork, you have all these other things to attach to it, mainly that it's a Stanley Kubrick production. But like, and it's also, it's not just because, you know, deliverance is male on male rape and that's somehow more disturbing to me. I have also put off watching the accused and irreversible for the same reasons. Yeah. And I just, a clockwork orange particular, I think you are right. It is, you know, it's a Kubrick film. It's a Malcolm McDowell film. It's a dystopian sci-fi thriller. There's more things in this movie than just the rape scene. A hundred percent. Have you seen Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Not yet, no. That has that all that movie also has like a brutal, brutal rape scene. And you know, I saw that movie in theaters, and of course, it's you know, this you know, you got the Swedish versions, the trilogy, and then you have the David Fincher 2011 one starring Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara, and that's the one that I saw in theaters, of course. And uh, you know, that was the first time I was 16, and that was the first time where I, I remember like I saw something like that in a theater like intending on I'm going to see this movie. I am going to see this David Fincher movie. It's the movie he followed social network up with. I got to see this and just being kind of like, wait a minute, is this morally what's going on here? You know, how am I supposed to take this in? I was fucking 16. Like you just got so many things going on in your brain. And to deal with that, you know, not too long ago, we talked about leaving Las Vegas, brutal, brutal scene in that movie. It's, it's a difficult thing and i'm glad we can kind of talk about it without you know beating around the bush and being kind of like weird about it It, it's in it's in the films it's in the art and to just ignore it and just i'll just just fast forward through it that just that doesn't sit well with me either so uh I, i think it's i think it's a gray gray conversation and a gray topic and clockwork i think the best answer i have for just kind of like oh this is why it's like accepted culturally is mostly because it's a Kubrick film. Yeah, that's true. I think, you know, to some people, it has the same kind of vibe and reaction that Fight Club had. Mm. Of this, like, you know, movies that these, like, just creeps Ugh. have embraced, like yeah. a, you know, yeah. a guy movie, like a the whole ultra-violence concept, you know, Project Mayhem. I see a lot of connections between Clockwork and Fight Club. Yeah, just fucked up masculinity, people yeah. taking it, the people, quite frankly, taking it the wrong way. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. People using his art as an excuse to be just monumental pricks and psychopaths. Yeah, and people were obsessed with that stuff. Do you remember when, uh, of course you do, when Dark Knight came out and people were just like, why so serious? And they were just running around like, I'm going to get a tattoo now. And you're yeah. like, I don't know off. Like- <laughs> when, the, when the Joker became a symbol of like, you know, anarchy, anarchy in society of like, you know, just, I, it's fucked up, man. The things people latch onto and try yeah, to find meaning yeah. in, it's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm a fan of movies, and yeah. when movies are and when movies are good and entertain me, I will take my hat off and and respect them. But it's not something I'm gonna fucking live by. <laughs> I love the Clockwork Orange. I love the Dark Knight. I love Fight Club. But not any time ever have I ever considered one of those movies dictating the way I live my life. I mean, well said. Well Jesus said. Christ, you need therapy more than anything else if that's what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and culturally, sometimes those movies get accepted that way, and I just uh, it doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> it's just so weird. It all came back when Joker came out. It, it oh, I, yeah, oh, that's a whole other. The more and more I think about that movie, the less and less I like it. Um, <laughs> and not so much for what the movie itself is. I do think it's a bit dull at times, and I think it's. I'm not. It's not a just copycat version of Taxi Driver and. Uh, uh, king of comedy, but it, but it is very much towing the line with paying homage and stealing. Uh, and, it, and, it, and then what it did to culture was just like kind of disgusting. Uh, so not, not totally for me. Uh, my number one is obviously the French connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the one, this is the one that uh, you're batshit crazy. If you don't have a good time watching this movie. You are you are beyond crazy. This is just as fun as it gets in American cinema. You got you got you know Freakin and Ernest Tidyman and all these wonderful performers and Owen Roisman at, uh, behind the camera, and you have you know right from the right from the start you got a couple of couple of undercover detectives fucking going at it trying to find some people selling drugs in seventies New York. Okay, sign me up. And then you have them catching wind of oh a huge shipments coming in. And they're all, oh, we got to figure this out, you know, because this is our job. This is what we do. And the performances of Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider as Poppy, Popeye and Cloudy, uh, staying up till seven in the morning sometimes just to like go on stakeouts. And then the chase scenes, Jesus Christ, the chase scenes are absolutely iconic. It's everything you want in a movie's movie. Hour and 45 minutes just doesn't ever let up just doesn't ever step off the gas and i love that about it i can i've seen it so many times now and it never fails me every time i watch it i'm just glued to the screen and wanting to text everybody on my phone like quotes from it even if they haven't even fucking seen the movie it's just it has that effect on me it's always been one of my favorite best picture winners and i think it deserved this win I, i love it so much but picture show and clockwork brilliant brilliant movies i don't think there's any wrong answer here between those three uh but for me and and my experience in watching stuff i've I've probably seen french connection 10 to 12 times and it's just every time i'm just floored and i'm one of those people who loves the ending where it's kind of like oh what happened there you heard that last gunshot what really happened there and then the credits start you know the the little title card stuff start coming up and it says, you know, and he, he was never caught, you know, <laughs> and you're like, Oh fuck, you know, Papa, I just lost his goddamn mind. Those last five minutes, they had the job done. They just had to stay calm, you know, stay calm. You can get the, you can figure this out. 
and he ends up shooting another cop. Oh, and then, you know, you got, you got cloudy. Roy Strider's like, dude, you shot him. Like, what's wrong with you? I, I love that. I love that ending. It's super intense, super gritty. And uh, again, the stuff that's happening in between is, is just perfection to me. Yeah, no argument here. I, I figured. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it is. Um, it's an interesting, like our hero here is one bad day away from being just as bad as these guys, as the guys he locks up. Yep. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to root for that guy sometimes. Like he, there's a moment where he does like one of the chief things a hero is never supposed to do. He shoots a man in the back. And I mean, it's just, it's so interesting how he kind of represents the best and worst of the NYPD in the seventies. Yeah. You know, he's a corrupt cop, but he does want to get the job done. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. He's relentless. And yeah. it's a gift and a, it's a gift and a curse. You know, there's times where it's like, okay, all the other cops are sleeping and he's watching and he's paying attention and trying to do his job to the best of his abilities. But yeah. by doing that, by doing that, he gets tired, he gets drunk, he gets weary eyed and starts making silly decisions. And that's, that's like perfect for a movie, you know, is is that teetering. I mean, at one point he sees a girl riding on a bike and he's like, huh? <laughs> and he takes her over to his, to his apartment and she fucking handcuffs him to her, to his own bed, you know, with his own handcuffs. And you're just like, who is this cop? You know, just completely out of his mind. Well, you know, we get to see this, uh, his dedication turn into obsession as he, you know, pursues this French guy. And it, it very much does remind me of, you know, like Jaws or Moby Dick. This like, you know, this unattainable goal that is just going to waste you away, you know, and the, the way they tell you that the guy was never caught, it ultimately amounts to nothing. His whole pursuit was completely meaningless. It just, all it did was ruin his career and get an FBI agent killed. Yeah. It's straight up. And I've never seen the, the French connection too. So I don't know how this all panned out, but yeah, uh, I don't really like talking about that one. Yeah. So not well, apparently. Okay. I, I, I own it, but it's not, not one of my favorites. We'll just say that. I, I just, I, I think leaving it alone is the, but would have been the best decision. Uh, but I think happy wanted to go back to the character and there's certainly stuff you can do afterwards with it. Uh, just, it's just not totally for me. Yeah, I get it. I'll, watch, I'll probably watch it at some point just, you know, to satisfy my own curiosity, but I'm not going to go out of my way. Yeah. Yeah. You know how there's like a, uh, isn't there a, uh, what movie was it? Jack Nicholson. There's some sort of sequel he's a part of from, is it Chinatown? Yeah. The two Jakes. That's right. The two Jakes. Yeah. Just like, ah, really? You really <laughs> have to do that? Last Fuck. picture show. They got a sequel. Yeah, I know. From Texas like the nineties, right? Yeah, they're all old and like realize maybe we should wanna. have, you know, maybe we should have planned our future better. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to do that to myself. You know, it's such a. I love when an ending is 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 for me. And the Last Picture Show and French Connection both have really cool endings to me. I just want to leave it at that. I got you. I get it. But, uh, so I believe we have some awards to give out to the French connection. Yes, we do. Yeah. My number one. So my, my number one is French. Uh, number two, last picture show, three clockwork, uh, four fiddler on the roof and five Nicholas and Alexander. 
Um, number five, Nicholas and Alexandra. Number four, Fiddler on the Roof. Number three, The French Connection. Number two, The Last Picture Show. Number one, A Clockwork Orange. So we just had that swap from three and one. That's it. <laughs> Those top three are great. They, they could all be argued as masterpieces. So if you haven't seen them, we've already ruined them. So uh, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, yeah. I have, have no some... problems ever spoiling a movie that's 50 years old. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Especially <laughs> a movie that I feel like I'm late to. Yeah. Like the last picture show, it's like, well, I, this is my time to talk about it. I, I'm late to it, so here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got we got some stuff here we, for for a French Connection. Uh, then we'll close it out with this. Uh, we have the Tarantino Award for best line or quote. We have the Ennio Morricone Award for the best music moment. Uh, we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman for the best performance of the movie, uh, and we have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. Oh, take it away with your Tarantino, this awesome screenplay. So I've got two, uh, one quick funny one and then one long-winded real one. Uh, my funny one comes from when he's, um, him and Cloudy are uh, uh, roused in the bar and <laughs> Popeye says to some guy, move ass when I call you. Just, I love the phrase move ass. Like not even, <laughs> like hurry the fuck up. <laughs> I... I love that. Um, uh, <laughs> I've started using that. Just, you know, move ass. Come on, let's go. <laughs> when I'm in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> move ass. <laughs> uh, and then my real one comes from when he and, um, and Cloudy at the beginning, when they bust the drug, the, uh, the drug peddler as Santa Claus. Yes. And he goes, all right, you put a shiv in my partner. You know what that means? God damn it. All winter long, I got to listen to him gripe about his bowling scores. I'm going to bust your ass for those three bags, and I'm going to nail you for picking your feet in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> right so there, you're good. like, this guy is nuts. He's, he's unstable. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, the the real-life uh, cops that this is the, – the book is written – it's Eddie Egan. That's Popeye's character, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, Cloudy, the real guy's name. But apparently they used that 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 you know bad cop, good cop bad cop like yeah. all the time that was like that was their thing was you know roy scheider's character would, would constantly be like asking real questions and trying to get them to say something for real and then you know gene hackman's character just comes in talking all kinds of nonsense and eventually they spill you know they spill out some shit because they're like this guy's fucking nuts <laughs> this guy's gonna this guy's gonna kick my ass if i don't say something here so uh that opening is so good Right away, you're like, okay, here I am. Here's here's where we're at. This is this is what's going on, and I, I it it just kind of straps you in for a really wild ride. Yeah, I love that they their method of interrogation is so out of fucking blue, but it makes sense. You know, if yeah. if you committed a crime and one guy's like asking you, you know, a legitimate question, and some other dude is screaming in your face about some nonsense that you don't know about, and if you say no, you're pretty sure you're going to get shot. You're, you're going to start, you know, filling some stuff. I, I get it. Makes sense. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Great pick. That's an absolute classic, classic line from the 70s and one of the best from a movie for sure. Uh, I actually, my Tarantino, this is the first time I was really just laughing my ass off at this, this particular line. I, I remember it from every time I watched it, but this was, this was the time when I, I was, for whatever reason, I was just like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. It was one of those 
moments where it's so good that you're smiling. You're like, Oh my God, I love this. I love, I love movies. <laughs> and it's when uh, the chemist is, is testing the heroin. Uh, he's basically analyzing the drugs and he says, blast off one, eight, Oh, 200 good housekeeping seal of approval. 210 U S government certified 220 lunar trajectory junk of the month club sirloin steak 230 grade a poison absolute dynamite 89 percent pure junk best i've ever seen if the rest is like this you'll be dealing on this load for two years <laughs> that guy's such a fucking sleaze bag <laughs> i love i love 210 u.s government certified <laughs> god sirloin steak so good i love love that that little bit of dialogue is like who the fuck wrote that <laughs> that is some that that is some tarantino shit right there <laughs> yeah that sounds like something tuco salamanca would say uh, oh my tight, god tight 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 yeah. <laughs> i love tuco oh man that's a yeah, great some some great stuff and then you have weinstock that like fucking dirtbag lawyer who's like so you tell me it's worth half a million and he's just keeps going the chemist is just like oh yeah and then he gives him like a little bag to like take home the chemist is like oh boy gonna go shoot up some fucking heroin because it's the 70s in new york what else do you do (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) that's fantastic crazy crazy time (laughs) yeah um (laughs) my morricone um this has a very interesting score. Uh, Don Ellis. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a jazzy New York mm-hmm. score. And um, I went with the, the music that's playing when they start tailing Sal Boca for the first time. Oh, it starts out kind of like, like a little, almost like Halloween. And then it turns into this like, kind of like Chinatown. It's Halloween and morphs into Chinatown. And I was like, I like this. I like this. Yeah. Dark. Dark but classy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it's so cool. Yeah, the, the jazz kind of input on this movie is is perfect. Don Ellis, I think, does a wonderful job. No Oscar nomination, so we didn't get to bring him up earlier, but we get to bring him up now. Um, his score is a big part of this film, a big part of those 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 moments where they're tailing somebody, and you just have you're relying on their movement and the music. Yeah, and it's it, it's uh, it's just goes hand in hand. Really cool. I I love that bit. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, my Morricone actually goes to a to a part of the soundtrack though. I love the score with all my heart, but there's a particular uh, song that happens with the scene. Like those two in hand are are I just it's just magic. And it's uh when the three degrees are playing, everybody gets to go to the moon at that club towards the beginning of the film. that's when, that's when uh, Popeye really gets his hunch. Like, okay, something's going on here and I'm going to fucking figure it out. And it's madness in that club. It's like complete madness. The song is, this song is crazy. It's really good. It's awesome. And I've been listening to it all day, but I, I love how it's paired with that really, really important dialogue between Popeye and cloudy and Cloudy's just looking at him. Like, I thought you came here to buy me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker like you only wanted to come here to, to do your own goddamn work you bastard <laughs> like, can't we just relax for like two seconds and popeye's like nope we can't <laughs> i don't know what, i don't know what relax means yeah I, I love that so much it's uh 
I have a playlist on Spotify where I try to add a song from the Oscar Sunday, you know, movies that we do. I try not only like some, some of the movies I pick like a piece of the score, but a lot of time I try to pick like a soundtrack, like a needle drop. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's such a perfect needle drop. Great choice. Whoever made that decision spot on. I also keep an Oscar Sunday playlist of, of exactly that. I wonder if we yeah. have the same stuff. <laughs> we definitely have to have to compare. I have some work to do. I'm a little bit behind on it right now, but I, I, I need to kind of adjust it and realign them because I want them to be in order of the episodes. And I've got, I've got a little bit out of order. So I have to do some deleting and adding again. So yeah, I will, I will perfect it though one day. <laughs> I've got that and I've got the filmgasm playlist, which is getting a little big. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's almost, it's almost 12 hours now. <laughs> yeah. My God. <laughs> um, PSH. Uh, Here we go. Here we go. I, I want to say, I think I know where you're going, but honestly, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a coin flip. Um, I went Hackman. Me too. Me too. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, I love everybody in this movie. I think all the performances are, are like wonderful, but without him, I don't know what you really have. I really don't. I, I think, I think everybody matters. You know, all these individuals matter. I think the cinematographer, director, but if you don't have the starring performance from Gene Hackman, what, like, what, what do you really have? You know, what, without his tone, the way he talks, how abrupt he is, the way he looks, the way he wears the hat, the way, the way he runs, he's kind of always tired. He's like, Oh fuck. You know, <laughs> I, I, I believe every little thing he does in this movie. Yeah. He's not, you know, super cop. He's not, Dirty Harry, you know, taking out the scum. Mm. He's just some bloated NYPD narcotics cop who stumbled onto a huge bust and yeah. wants his piece of it. That's really all it is. He's no hero. He's he's just, you know, an asshole cop who got lucky, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love at the beginning of the movie, uh, I had texted you this when I first started it. We started watching it last night when him and Roy Shredder are arguing over what happened because... Uh, Roy Scheider, uh, Cloudy gets 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 cut at the beginning of the movie, and he's like, you know, just kind of fucking with him, Gene Hackman, Popeye, and, and at one point, Roy Scheider fucking starts like acting like he's stroking it, and he's like, fucking trust this, and then Gene Hackman goes, whip it out. <laughs> oh, I think he said, drink this, drink this. Yeah, that's yeah. right, because they're about to, they're about to go to the bar. You're right, you're about to go to the club. Yeah. He's like, come on, let's go. Let's go down. And get, let's go down and get a drink. Come on, come on, come on. Drink this. <laughs> just fucking. Uh, of course, he goes with him. You know, uh, Cloudy goes with Popeye, his, his fucking partner. And then shit goes, goes sideways from there for sure. <laughs> Whip it out. <laughs> I love that so much. Hackman. I love that a film like that, that represents the future of Hollywood, goes up against a film like Fiddler on the Roof and Nicholas Alexander, which represents you know, the, the past of Hollywood. And it's just neat to see, you know, the future and the past kind of coexist at the same time like that. And there's yeah. like, you know, the, in the middle of the transitional period, you get like a mixture of films like this. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely why, you know, if you take into account, uh, you know, the 100, little over 100 years of movies really existing and really being a part of culture, this is, this is the midway point. You know, the 70s are the golden era to me for American cinema because it is that, that halfway of 
okay, let's experiment. Let's start fucking with shit. Let's start doing stuff. And now you see, you see a lot of movies now. When you watch 60s and 70s movies and, and some 80s, you see now, holy shit, these people making movies now were really watching movies then, you know, and really care about those decades and are paying homage constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, God, I, I love that so much. I love, I love diving into this decade. It's, it's always a treat to look at, look at stuff in context, like, like this best picture showdown that we're doing. So it's really cool. Reminds me of a great Frank Reynolds quote. I don't know how many mm. years I've got left on this earth. I'm going to get real weird with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does he say that went up sober? He's like, what if we're all in a turtle's dream? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, Frank. Yes. <laughs> uh, so <Beautiful>. perfect. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so here we are. Roger Deakins. The Deakins. The, the Deakins. There's only one Deakins in this movie for me. <laughs> uh, mine we've already kind of talked about, and it's um, it's when uh, Popeye is chasing the French guy on foot on the subway, and they keep having that back and forth getting on, getting off the train. And just the moment where he goes up to the custard guy and is like, can I get a grape drink? I love the vagueness <laughs> of that. Like just a bottle labeled grape drink. Like what the fuck are you? And he walks yeah, away be... with a candied apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on over there? But the, the moment is when they're both on the train. And like you said, with the cinematography, the cane coming through the door and yeah. Popeye getting trapped on the other side. And the French guy just giving him that little Bye little French wave. He knew he was there the whole time, just shaking him. And then that's reciprocated at the end when Popeye finally traps the guy and gives him the same little, hi, <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It's a great callback. Hey, it's genius. It's genius. And then my Deacons goes right off of that. It's right after that. It's the chase between the car chase slash train chase, which is yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. I, I, I don't really even know what to say say about it because it's it's so damn good. It's Pierre Nicoli running away from Popeye and Popeye's in the car. Well, he first off, he says, I mean, really right there is when they're like, OK, dude, you're done. Like, you're, you, you know, you, you, you've been you've been traced. You've been uncovered. Like this guy knows knows you're his tail. You need to like you need to stop. But then he's like, well, I got shot at. I, like this, this guy was trying to snipe me out. So I'm going to go after him. You know, he goes up, he goes up to the top of the fucking, you know, building, sees the shotgun, sees the shells. And then, which is also, I'm pretty sure that's a shotgun, which is pretty impressive that he was doing that from that, that distance on uh, Nicole, that he's just fucking, I mean, he kills a lady. He just kills a lady trying to, he's ruthless. That character is absolutely ruthless. At the very beginning, we see him just, kill another uh, detective over in Marseille. He's clearly the, you know, main henchman and watching him, you know, run away. And then fucking Gene Hackman goes right back down the stairs and now is chasing him on foot. And then he realizes, Oh, he gets on this, you know, gets on this train and he can't quite catch him. So he's like, Oh fuck, you know, you got to stop this train. And then he's like, I, I have to keep, following that train i can't you know i can't do it on foot so and i'm not on the train with him so i gotta find a car and he just halts people he just gets people to stop and then finally he's like police <laughs> police this is this is an emergency when am i gonna get my car back 
Uh, he doesn't even answer him. He just drives off. And then that scene is where you have real stunt work going on. And that car really got fucked up a bunch, you know, and like really got destroyed. <laughs> and it's so, so awesome. Cause he gets out of the car and back into the car. And finally is like, I got his ass. I got his ass cornered. The subway has come to a, a an emergency break. He shot someone inside the subway. Uh, one of like the security guards. And then he, uh, He's going down, you know, and Nicole's kind of messed up because he hit his head on the glass and he's walking down and then he goes, gets to the stairs and fucking Popeye's right there with his gun. Like, what's up, dude? I fucking got you. And Nicole, right when he turns, and that's the fucking poster of the movie is Nicole, you know, facing the other way, getting shot in the back. And then he falls down the stairs, hits Popeye's leg and Popeye's like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got his ass after like, messing up so many people's day by hitting their car, making shit, just go crazy, getting in, you know, blowing through newspaper stands, you know, just ruining a shit ton of stuff in New York. He, he finally got him. And like he was, his determination in that scene is something to behold. And that's where a lot of the Owen Roisman uh, handheld stuff comes into play where he's in the car with Gene Hackman right over his shoulder as he's fucking honking and speeding around. It's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant 10 or 15 minutes of, of movie. I mean, and then right before that is when you have your deacons. It's like, that's like in the same 30 minutes. It's like, oh my God, I can't handle this. You know, the adrenaline is through the roof. And that, that's where I think it got its uh, title of out and out thriller. It's just edge of your seat kind of stuff. And people still want to make movies that intense. They still want to try to capture that same thrilling aspect. And uh, you gotta love that stuff it's so cool uh i think a lot of the dialogue between scheider and hackman is incredible but that particular action sequence is is my has always been my favorite the first time i saw it i couldn't believe my eyes i was like oh my god i'm gonna own this movie i'm i'm gonna watch this over and over and i'm i'm hoping some of my friends get around to it as well because i think that scene like that 30 minutes that alone is worth worth your time it's unbelievable yeah it's pretty badass uh, i remember a poll like a top 10 video i watched somewhere where that was voted the greatest movie car chase of all time yeah i mean i don't have any arguments with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty bitching uh considering you know what they had to work with in 1971 well done yes yes very practical very practical what's happening there i mean that's not a soundstage right that's new york city yeah <laughs> yeah it's impressive <laughs> yeah, Friedkin doesn't really fuck around when he's when he's you know he's trying to. <clears throat> you don't have you don't have that New York authenticity and the New York element as its own character without filming yeah. there and making the movie there. So yeah, really, 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 really cool. I'm surprised he didn't summon the devil himself to co-star in The Exorcist. Like this dude yeah. really wants the best he can get. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, well done with the French Connection. Uh, Eight for me, uh, solid, enjoyable, good enough. Hell yeah. Yeah, I give French Connection a 10, Last Picture Show a 9, Clockwork a 10, Fiddler uh, on the Roof an 8, and Nicholas and Alexandra a 6 or 7. Give Whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> that one's a 6, the rest are all 8s for me. I like it. I like it a lot. I think uh, Last Picture Show could rise for both of us after a couple more watches. It's just... Jesus Christ, we're going to notice little character development type stuff that we didn't see before and 
catch more tricks from Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. And then after watching more, you know, I've heard Paper Moon is just outstanding. You know, watching more Bogdanovich films, I think we'll have a greater appreciation for Picture Show. Well, I adore Madeline Kahn. And for that reason there alone, I've been wanting to see Paper Moon for quite some time. There you go. Yeah. Ah, wonderful. Um, so, Showdown is done. What do we yes. got coming next week? Showdown. Another showdown in the books. We won't have another one of those till episode 75. Next week, episode 71. I will be absent. This is the first time I will not appear on Oscar Sunday, and it's slowly destroying me inside. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you will be joining. You will be joined by Caleb uh, to do 2012 Skyfall. <sighs> James, James, motherfucking Bond. You know, uh, No Time to Die comes out next weekend. Uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that on sneak preview. There's no doubt about it. So we have a whole fucking. You know, James Bond, Daniel Craig week. We got Casino Royale uh, on Wednesday's Filmgasm, which is you and I are going to do that together. Skyfall, you and Caleb, and then No Time to Die sneak preview. I imagine you and Caleb. So I just super, super excited to kind of shout out this this stage of James Bond, this stage of uh, Daniel Craig's career and Skyfall. What a masterpiece. Uh, Casino Royale is my favorite, but I think Skyfall is my second favorite of – the Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond films. I'm hoping no time to die shatters all of them. That'd be great. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can't wait to be on filmgasm and kind of switch things around. Uh, the reason we're doing that is cause I'll be out of town, uh, from Thursday to, to, to Sunday next week. So I, I won't, I just won't be able to record uh, Oscar Sunday in time and that's okay with me because I know it's in good hands. <laughs> that, that means a lot. This is, uh, my first, this will be my first time, uh, leading an Oscar Sunday. And I know I've done like 150 fucking filmgasms and like 40 something sneak previews. Not going to lie. I'm a little nervous. Feels good to be nervous. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun, man. I think it'll be really yeah. cool. You know, there's not, you know, it won two Oscars for uh, sound editing and uh, original song. Of course, Skyfall by Adele. Uh, it was nominated for cinematography, uh, original score and sound mixing. So you got those uh, to talk about, but I, I expect more James Bond talk and I expect more, you know, Daniel Craig, just what he means to this, to this franchise, how important he is and how, what a great choice they made back in for, for Casino Royale in 2006. Uh, because he's, he's up there. He's up there with the best to ever do it. Yeah. In some circles, he is the best. Uh, I think I it's the that. best Bond movie I've seen is Casino Royale for me. It's so goddamn good. I can't wait to talk about it on film, guys. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> I'll save my thoughts because Wednesday, I mean, is going to be fucking amazing. I'm at Casino Royale. We've been planning that one like to coincide with No Time to Die. So we've been waiting for this uh, for a long time now. And we're finally getting it. And I, I have nothing but extremely high hopes. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, Oscar Sunday, big shoes to fill. And I hope I can do you justice. Oh, you will, man. I, I have no, I have no uh, reservations or anything about, <clears throat> about you, you kind of running that one. I, I think, I think Caleb will have a lot of fun too, you know, picking awards <laughs> out for Skyfall. What, what a cool movie to pick awards for. Yeah. And it's actually been a minute since I sat down and actually watched Skyfall all the way through. And I've been planning on doing a, a Craig rewatch to, uh, for no time to die. And I, I watched Casino Royale last week. I'm going to fucking watch it again. Cause it's a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, yeah. I watched quantum of solace and fell asleep. 
And now I'm going to do Skyfall Inspector this weekend and just enjoy myself. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Skyfall is the only film I saw while I was in Romania that I saw in theaters because a lot of them, a lot of the movies, they were like, I, I just, I didn't trust this theater. It fucked up the subtitle sometimes, but this movie, they had it straight up in English. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. I got to go see this movie. And I was just blown away. You know, I was like, this movie fucking kicks ass. It's way better than quantum solace. They're back on track. Let's go. <laughs> I remember I took a date to see skyfall and then I didn't make a move. And I was like, fuck, I should have, should have, should have made a move. You're too busy watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll talk more about that next week. Cause it's just, Hell yeah. Yeah. Caleb knows who it is. So he, we save it, save it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Oh yeah. So that'll be fun. Obviously, you know, Casino Royale and Filmgasm. And then of course this week on, um, well, tomorrow on uh, sneak preview, Venom, Let There Be Carnage and the Many Saints of Newark. Gonna be fun. Beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. This was a blast. Can't wait for the next showdown, especially since we know what it's gonna be. And uh woohoo. Uh yeah. <laughs> giddy up, giddy up, cowboy. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. Thank you.